Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com national editor Matt Myers. We have like six or seven different things to talk about today. You may have noticed that Chris Paddock looks like a beast. We watched his game last night. The Rays are doing something weird. I know that's a super big surprise. Uh, we're going to dig into some Yankee sluggers. What's the numbers behind Luke Voigt and Gary Sanchez? Matt Carpenter's off to a slow start. He was off to a slow start last year, too. It's a little different now. We'll get into the numbers. Um, a couple of pitchers who are good for very different reasons, Martin Perez and Ryan Presley. And finally, Matt has some hot Vladimir Guerrero Jr. takes. They're not, they're not hot takes. It's just more like, what's going on? You know, what's the deal with Vlad Jr.? We'll uh, get to that in a we're gonna a We're going to start with Chris Paddock. So here's what I noticed last night. Um, at the 10 o'clock game here in the East, so the, the Mets and the Padres were starting, and at the same time, the Dodgers and the Braves were starting. So I had the two games up, split screen, side by side. And Chris Paddock is pitching for the Padres, and he looked awesome. And Walker Bueller is pitching for the Dodgers, and he looked awesome. And on the other side of Chris Paddock and the Padres-Mets game was Jacob deGrom, who just came off one of the best seasons in baseball history, and I couldn't help but think to myself, this guy's the third most interesting pitcher in these two games. Uh, sorry, Kevin Gosman, you didn't rate. Uh, but Paddock and Bueller looked incredible last night, and Paddock against... Pete Alonso, maybe my favorite like matchup of the season because we went back and looked. Uh, the first plate appearance, all fastballs at the top of the zone. The second time, he leads them off with a curveball and then fastballs at the top of the zone. Uh, my favorite quote, by the way, after the game, Jacob DeGrom on Chris Paddock. His stuff was okay. He just located it well tonight. That is so petty, and I love it. Uh, Paddock, last night against the Mets, seven and two-thirds innings, 11 strikeouts, one walk, no earned runs. He... I mean, he was hyped, right? Coming into the season, he has lived up to it. Well, uh, yeah, and speaking, speaking of Petty, he seemed to be creating some sort of beef with Pete Alonso. Yes. Probably because he's annoyed that he didn't win Rookie National of the Month. Run, which, you know, Pete Alonso has no control <laughs> I know. over. But uh, it was pretty cool to see him so fired up, pumping his fist. Um, I like to see that. He's, I mean, when spring training opened, Paddock wasn't even going to be on the Padres opening day roster. It was like this was a guy who actually played his way onto the roster. That kind of doesn't really happen that much anymore, but he looked so good in big league spring training games that the Padres were kind of like, uh, this guy might be our best pitcher. And sure enough, not only has been has he been the best pitcher on the Padres, he has been perhaps the best pitcher in the National League. It prep, it's the best pitcher in baseball? Uh, maybe so far. Uh, by the way, against Pete Alonso last night, his three hardest pitches of the season, in case you're wondering if guys can get amped up, he hit 97.9 miles an hour twice. And you know what? I just realized like this is a, a non sequitur here. I need to download like an alarm on my phone for any time we're about to mention Luis Perdomo because it's that time. Uh, Chris Paddock last night had 21 swinging strikes, and that is the third most by a Padres pitcher uh, since 2016. Uh, number one was Denelson LeMay, who I really liked for a minute. He had 23 in a game in 2017. And alarm sound here. Boop, 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 boop. Luis Perdomo had 22 against the Orioles back when the Orioles were good in 2016. In a five-inning start where he gave up two home runs to Pedro Alvarez, as we just learned. Um, this has been your Luis Perdomo <laughs> minute. <laughs> but back to Paddock. Okay, so I've been – Paddock, even the – I watched his first start of the year, and it was just like, okay, this guy is, you know, there's something very uh, aesthetically pleasing about watching him pitch. And there's a few reasons, one of which is he's got the awesome mullet. Yes. He's got the awesome socks, the stirrups. He just has like he, – he looks a little different on the mound. He has a very fluid delivery – he works very quickly. I just looked this up. He averages 21 seconds between pitches, which is fifth fastest in baseball amongst starting pitchers. If you're wondering, Wade Miley is first, and Luis Castillo is also in the top five. Um, so he looks cool. He works quickly, and he has this repertoire. It's kind of I think it's it's unique where he throws a fastball around 95. He's got a changeup around 85, and a breaking breaking ball about 75. So he's got three distinct pitches at distinct speeds that he throws. The curveball he only throws. 
10% of the time, but it's a pitch he, he mixes it in enough that these it's there's not really like he has this whole package that makes him just like fun to watch pitch yeah and he kind of changes his usage as he goes deeper into games uh, first four innings so far this year 60 percent fastballs 30 percent changeups, 10 percent curveballs and as he gets deeper into games uh innings five plus he gets down to 50 percent fastballs and 40 percent changeups. so it's not a huge difference but he's giving guys slightly different looks uh, this may be one of the very few times we're going to use batting average in a serious way on this show our friend and colleague sarah langs reached out to the Elias sports bureau to look this up chris paddock in the history of baseball we're going back to 1900 here has allowed a 130 batting average in his first seven career starts that is the lowest in baseball history uh minimum of 40 batters because otherwise ryan stanick and he is not really in the spirit of this conversation uh it's some interesting names wade simpson dick hughes freddie peralta was fourth on that list i had no idea um I, you know, we, we know what batting average is or isn't, but if you can say that in your first seven career starts over the last 119 years, you are number one in something, that's something. And if you look at uh, Paddock's player page, one thing that definitely jumps out is his batting average on balls in play is 176, which is obviously flukish and unsustainable. Right. However, via StatCast's expected batting average metric, his expected BA is 179. Right, and his actual is 130, 176 bad bit. So yes, he's you know been a little bit fortunate or you know lucky, whatever word you want to use. But the result, this is not this is not flukish results. The the performance the performance is there is living up to the results. And I think that's important to note because um, San Diego is a pretty good infield defense. You know, this is not just Manny Machado and Kinsler and and Tatis when he's healthy, like you know scooping up these ground balls and taking hits away. He has basically earned that soft contact. Um, is it too soon to say he's in the Cy Young conversation? I mean, yes, probably. He's probably not going to get to go like 200 innings this year. So there's that. Uh, if you look at the National League right now, he has the lowest ERA, 155. He has the lowest expected weighted on base, 238. Um, and if you look at some of the other stars in the National League, you know, Kyle Freeland's off to a terrible start, 590 ERA. Aaron Nola, 506. No Syndergaard, 502. Um, Scherzer and DeGrom are both near four. Now, we, we looked into these guys last week, uh, or we, we thought we were going to, and then we didn't think that they had necessarily earned all those bad numbers. I think Scherzer's going to be fine. DeGrom's going to be fine. Syndergaard just looked great the other day. Uh, but what's fun to me is if I look at the top three ERA guys uh, in the National League, number one is Paddock, number two is Kyle Davies, so I don't think either of us believe in, number three is Luis Castillo, who has looked incredible. He is the real deal. If we look at the top expected weighted on base guys, number one, Chris Paddock, number two, Luis Castillo, and it's here where we have to point out that the Marlins had both of these guys and traded them away for Fernando Rodney and Dan Straley. That's not what you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not. And you know, AJ Casavell, our, our, uh, our Padres beat reporter, had a really good breakdown of this the other day, basically looking into how the uh, Padres are going to manage Paddock's innings. Because Paddock, as you may not be aware, is a Scott Boris client. And Scott Boris, client, Scott Boris had said to, to uh, our own John Baltimorosi, basically, you know, there's going to be a plan in place to manage his innings. You know, and obviously Scott Boris is famous for basically initiating the Strasburg shutdown of 2012 and the Matt Harvey potential shutdown of 2015 that never happened. And, maybe, and then what happened? Yeah, maybe Matt Harvey is <laughs> kind of wishing he'd gotten shut down. Um, but that's for another day. But the point is that so like we could run into a similar situation. However, it does seem like the Potters are being a bit more proactive than the Mets and Nationals were. Um, the pot they they right now currently have a, they they've been making roster moves. They've got a six man rotation right now. They have um, an off day this week. Paddock is not lined up to start again until next Tuesday 
against the Dodgers. So they are really trying. He's basically going to go like seven days rest between starts. So they're really trying to space him out. And I think he's the, the plan, assuming he stays quote-unquote healthy, is to keep him in the rotation all year, but to try and basically every time there's an off day, give him some extra time and skip him as much as you can. Also managing his pitch count. Yesterday was the first time he went above 90 pitches. He was incredibly efficient. He threw 103 pitches in seven and two-thirds, I think. Seven and getting two-thirds. A, to get 11 strikeouts throwing, you know, it, it's hard to do. Uh, yeah. with that, uh, with that, with that, with that few pitches. So my point is simply that I think if he stays in the rotation and remains effective, if he gets the point is the the barrier for Cy Young innings is lower. Like Kershaw almost won it with 160 innings as a starter a couple years ago. So I think that like if he gets to 160, 170, and I don't expect him to maintain a you know a, whatever a 155 ERA, but stays you know competitive in that range. I think he's definitely going to be in the Zion conversation. I don't know if the Padres would do this, but it's interesting what the Mariners are doing with uh, Yusei Kikuchi's uh, usage because they gave him a pre-planned one-inning opener start just to try to like keep him on a schedule but manage his innings, and he came back his next game out, struck out 10, and threw 97 miles an hour. I don't know if that's related, but it was certainly uh, it's not it's not a strategy I've seen before, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, if you noticed that the Tampa Bay Rays are being weird again. Now, I feel like I kind of need to preface this by saying – we always think of them as being this weird, innovative team, and that's sort of unfair because they're really good. I mean, they are atop the American League East. Um, they have a interesting combination. They have the best hard hit rate in baseball uh, as hitters and the best hard hit rate in baseball as pitchers. That's really good. They have the best outfield defense by outs above average. They are plus nine, uh, more than double the Cubs and Angels who are next. They have a 95.3 mile an hour uh, average starter fastball velocity, best in baseball, probably skewed by the opener somewhat. But you get the idea. They did something super weird in April. They shifted right-handed batters more than they shifted left-handed batters. Who does that? Like, that is just kind of the weirdest thing. Now, I was surprised when I dug into this to find out that this was not the first time this had ever happened. But it was pretty close to being the first time. I looked at every team month from 2015 uh, through April of this year. So that's 570 team months. Only six times did a team shift to right-handed batters uh, more than left-handed batters by at least a gap of 2%. Uh, the Rays, unsurprisingly, have done this twice. They did it this April. Uh, they also did it in June 2017. Scattered months here and there, once from the Braves, Phillies, Twins, and Pirates. Even in Major League Baseball this year, as shifts have gone up, left-handed batters are shifted 16 percentage points more than right-handed batters. Who shifts righties more? It's so weird. It's, it's, it's the Rays, man. It's the Rays. Uh, I dug into this a lot. I'm not actually sure it even worked, but it was kind of fun to see. Uh, we we uh, asked uh, uh, Tampa Bay manager Kevin Cash. Uh, he said, it was. we did it a lot last year. It was surprising to me that it wasn't talked about as much because I don't know if it was equal, but it was sure close. And actually, it's not happening anymore in May. They are going back to like kind of a regular thing. Um, but I thought it was really interesting to think about, right? If you look at the uh, percentage of ground balls for right-handed batters over the last two years, 2018-2019, Right-handed batters pull 45% of their ground balls. Another 40% are straight away. Only 13% of them are opposite field. Now, obviously, it's different for righties and lefties because you got to worry about the first baseman, understood. Uh, but then you start thinking about it like that, and you're like, yeah, maybe this makes sense. Like We've seen the Albert Pujols shift, you know, where three guys are standing out in short left field. Uh, and speaking of the Angels, they went nearly two full seasons without shifting a single right-handed batter from early 2017 to opening day this year. Some of that's got to be probably... In Dalton Simmons factor, no. but well, so I had a lot of people say that to me when I tweeted it, 
And I guess maybe, but I have to think that's more of like the going from Mike Sosha to Brad Ausmus factor. Certainly. Uh, which would be a thing. I, I looked at every pitcher who has thrown at least 50 pitches to right-handed batters, of which there are 350. Here are the top guys in terms of how many uh, right-handed batter shifts they've seen behind them, right? Number one is Yanni Torinos. Uh, number three, Emilio Pagan. Number four, Jalen Beeks. Number five, Ryan Stanek. All Rays. Number two, Alex Cobb, former Ray. Uh, also on the top 10, former Rays, Jake Odorizzi. Nate Carnes. Yanni Chirinos has had 85%, 65%? I printed this out really tiny. I think it's 65%, 65. of his right-handed batter shifted. And it's it's just a weird thing, and I love that the Rays have done something weird. I'm not even sure it helped them win. It might not matter at all. They're not even doing it anymore. But for that one glorious, shining month, the Rays did something insane. And I love them for that. Definitely. Uh, should we move on to the Yankees, who are somehow still in this race and playing really well, despite having like a triple-A lineup on a bad day? Um, well, that's the thing. I think that maybe, I mean, certainly parts of the lineup are a little bit uh, AAA, but uh, Luke Voigt, who at one point we may have thought was kind of AAA, is decidedly not AAA. I, so Luke Voigt, I don't think we've talked about it too much. Um, I think everybody knows his story. The Yankees got him last year from the Cardinals as essentially a throw-in. Uh, you remember that deal? They traded away Jason Shreve and Giovanni Gallegos for Luke Voigt and international bonus slot money. I'm not sure which of those two, two things was the, the headline piece there. They did have some injuries at first base last year. You know, Bird was hurt. So I think they did want to – they did intend to use Voigt. But, yes, it was definitely like – it was kind of like minor – it was like depth. Yeah. It was like 40-man depth. Um, so last year, obviously, you know, it goes off with the Yankees. 405 on base, 689 slugging. This year he's not maintaining that, but he's still really good, right? 373 on base, 520 slugging. But here's what I thought was interesting. So he's hitting a lot of home runs, but his hard hit rate is actually down. Uh, so hard hit rate is percentage of batted balls hit 95 miles an hour or more. It is down for him from 54% to 40%. So that's 60th percentile. It's like slightly above average, but it's not insanely good. And I thought that was kind of interesting. It's not what you think of when you think of Luke Voigt. Here's what he is doing. He is what I'm going to call him now, the king of perfect launch angle, right? Launch angle is not like exit velocity in the sense that more is generally better. If you get too high, now you're hitting pop-ups. Pop-ups are bad. So in the same sense that hard hit rate is percentage of balls hit 95 miles an hour or more, uh, we have something we've been calling sweet spot percentage. So that's eight degrees of launch angle to 32 degrees of launch angle, right? So the major league average is to hit 33% of your batted balls in that range. Luke Voigt is at nearly 50%. That is the best in baseball. So that is such a productive range that forget how hard you hit the ball. Just think about launch angle. Ignore exit velocity. If you hit the ball in that range, the major league average is 596 with an 1160 slugging percentage. And he has an above average, if not elite, hard hit rate. He has got the perfect launch angle. And I don't think we think about it like that. But for him, it's working out really well. For sure. I, I, I went and looked at his, his numbers since he joined the Yankees. And people say, well, how are the Yankees doing this when they're missing Judge and Stanton? Well, they basically got a Judge and Stanton replacement for nothing. Voigt, since he joined the Yankees, is hitting 297, 389, 606. Stanton with the Yankees, 266, 349, 506. So he has a Voigt has a significantly higher on base percentage and slugging, exactly 100 points higher slugging than John Carlos Stanton while wearing the Yankee pinstripes. And even Aaron Judge with the Yankees, 274, 399, 562. So Voigt has a comparable on base percentage and a higher slugging percentage. So he's hitting as well as those guys. So theoretically, they're. If those guys can go back and reach their career norms, norms, their offense will even be scarier. But the fact, part of the reason they're able to replace, I mean, they're able to survive without those guys. They basically got a replacement for two like relievers. Though I should note that Gallegos is actually pitching really well, well for the Cardinals this year. I I, um, I loved this trade when it happened for the Cardinals <laughs> <laughs> because I don't have it in front of me. But Giovanni Gallegos, I believe, 
I can't remember if it was just AAA or the entire minor leagues had led like all minor leaguers or all AAA guys, whichever it was, in strikeout rate like the year before. Like he he gets his whiffs. I've always really liked him. And you know, it don't get me wrong. To this point, it's clear the Yankees won this trade. Yeah. But I was surprised because I think the, the the narrative of the story is oh the Yankees got Luke Voigt for free. I went and looked. Yankees been really good for the Cardinals. A forty one percent strikeout rate in twelve innings pitched. He's been pitching in a lot of high leverage spots for them. So they did get something for Voigt. But yes, I'm sure they are. At least, kind of regretting they didn't quite realize what they had in uh, well, Boyd. There have been articles written that said the Yankees saw something in his minor league hitting data. We don't have access to that, so it's hard for us to say what it is. I don't know if it was exit velocity, launch angle, some combination, uh, but clearly they saw something there. And I think everybody thinks of the Yankees as this giant money machine, but they also do things like this. Like they're really good at this and finding guys like kind of out of nowhere. Uh, of course. And then also there's the other big reason the Yankees are sort of been able to stay afloat without, with all these injuries. Is... L. Gary. <laughs> Gary Sanchez last year hit 186, 291, 406. Uh, that was the lowest batting average in the history of the Yankees. Minimum 350 plate appearances. Again, I don't care about batting average, but when you can say he did the worst something in the history of the Yankees, that's kind of a big deal. Um, a big part of that was because he had a 197 batting average on balls in play. 11th lowest in the modern history of baseball back to 1920. He hits the ball on the ground. Bad things happen. Now, part of that's because he's a slow-footed catcher. You know, he's 15th uh, percentile in sprint speed, so 85% of guys are faster than him. Unsurprising that if he hits the ball on the ground, bad things will happen. But it's not just because he's slow. Last year, when he hit the ball on the ground, his average exit velocity was 85.8. And on fly balls and line drives, it was 97.7. This year, it's even a bigger difference. 84.9 84.9 miles an hour on the ground and 101.8 miles an hour on flies and liners, the best in baseball. So if you're slow and you don't hit the ball hard in the ground and you crush the ball in the air, what's the best possible thing you could do? Hit the ball more in the air. And wouldn't you know it, not only has he increased his, or excuse me, decreased his ground ball percentage uh, by 21 points from nearly 43% to just under 22%. That is the largest drop in all of baseball. And it feels like, you know, it's 2019 now. It shouldn't be as simple as, say, hit the ball hard in the air, don't hit grounders. And I know that it's not. I know that it's hard to do this. But the more I dug into Gary Sanchez, the more I could think, oh, wow, this is it. This is just hit the ball hard in the air and not softly on the ground, and you'll be fine. Who cares what your batting average is? Yeah, this is the Gary Sanchez season we've been waiting for for a couple of years. He's shown flashes of it, but he's been sidelined by injuries. So it'll be hopefully he can stay healthy and we can see what a full season of, like, uh, Good Gary Sanchez looks like. He hit 091 on grounders last year. He's hitting 083 on grounders this year. I cannot stress enough. If you're Gary Sanchez, do not hit grounders. <laughs> uh, and he has been fantastic. Now, one guy I wanted to dig into who's off to a slow start uh, is Matt Carpenter. Matt Carpenter is off to a uh, pretty disappointing start for him. 215, 327, 369. Now, you might say big deal. Last year, he got off to a really slow start, too. It was all anybody could talk about. He was even worse. He was even worse. Last year, uh, so last year I went back to through May 12th because he's played 34 games this year. That was his 34th game last year. He was hitting 145, 294, 282. That was really bad. There were tons of stories written about it. But the takeaway there was that both publicly and internally with the Cardinals, it sure seemed like the underlying data said, you know what? Keep on, keep it on. You're crushing it. You're going to be fine. And I think we all remember uh, what happened for salsa-based reasons potentially after that. It's a little different this year. So I, I went back to last year and I looked at this through May 12th. He had a 264 weighted on base, which is not very good. 
he had a 357 expected weighted on base. It's a difference of nearly 100 points. I'm not going to say it's all bad luck, but it's certainly underperformed. Well, as you may, as longtime listeners may recall, we even had a uh, uh, Joe Trezza, who was covering the Cardinals for us at the time, asked Matt Carpenter when he broke out of his slump, and Matt Carpenter said, "Our analytics people were telling me keep doing what you're right, doing. Right, you're hitting the ball well. The expected numbers are there." It's going to come around, and sure enough, it did. His expected batting average last year was 221, which isn't great, but his actual was 145. So he was underperforming by many, many points. This year, um, he's underperforming, but not by, by very much. 309 weighted on base, but only a 323 expected weighted on base. So he's underperforming by 14 points. Um, he's underperforming his expected batting average by 7 points. These are not really big differences here. And when I looked at his difference in hard hit rate, so I looked at everybody who had a minimum of 90 batted balls, both this year and last year, he has the largest drop in hard hit rate in baseball. Last year, he was at 45%. This year, he's at 31%. Uh, now, it should be noted, number two is Luke Voigt. <laughs> For, so maybe that's not the end of the world, uh, uh, but it's not a good sign. Although, as we noted, his, uh, his, his, he is hitting the sweet spot. But anyway. Yeah, look, and look who else is on this list of biggest hard hit rate drops. Uh, Kevin Pillar, who went from like average to very much below average. Edwin Encarnacion, that's a stunning thing. He went from 42 to 30%. Mookie Betts makes sense. He's had a lousy start. Uh, Robinson Cano is not at a good start. Chris with the K Davis had a very good start, but really has not hit at all in the last it's three weeks. It's been awful for about, the, yeah. Uh, and then Anthony Rizzo and Paul Goldschmidt, uh, which I guess I was a little surprised to see. But anyway, if you're Matt Carpenter and you are you know, uh, not performing and your hard hit rate is declining, that's actually more of a concern to me this year than it was last year. Um, I looked into him a little more. Would you believe that he has seen 104 sliders and has zero hits so far. The man is getting eaten alive by sliders, uh, and he's seen more of them, unsurprisingly. He is getting eaten alive by changeups. He's seen 82 pitches. He has a .053 batting average, um, still crushing four-seamers, 311 batting average, 622 slugging percentage. I would be surprised if he ever sees another four-seamer again <laughs> based on these trends. Um, the Cardinals... I think just lost first place with, to the Cubs. I mean, they were my preseason pick. I still believe in them. The rotation has looked a little rough. This is surprising to me once I dug into this a little more. It's not and, the same as last year. And also, and I haven't dug into his defensive numbers, but you know they were making a little bit of a sacrifice on defense by saying, okay, Matt Carpenter, you're going to play third base now as opposed to first. So if you're not getting the Matt Carpenter uh, offense that you're expecting – and it's kind of a, a double whammy. So that is a guy who is just not performing. And I guess the takeaway here is it's not for the same reason as last year. Let's move on to some guys who are really performing. Martin Perez of the Minnesota Twins last year with Texas was about as bad as a regular pitcher can be. He threw 85 in a third innings. He had a 622 ERA. He had a 13% strikeout rate. That was the second worst of nearly 200 guys who threw 80 innings. Now, the first worst and the third worst are no longer in baseball. Bartolo Colon, Giovanni Gallardo, they no longer throw baseballs for a living. And you would think maybe Martin Perez might have been on that boat as well. The Rangers did decline his $7.5 million option. Um, he was hurt twice last year with elbow injuries, but not his throwing elbow. He had that weird thing where, I can't remember, something to do with a uh, farm animal, right? Wasn't it on his farm he broke his elbow? Oh, yeah. Off of something? yeah. I can't remember. I totally forgot about that until now. <laughs> uh, so there's that, right? Maybe he wasn't fully healthy. But also, if you look at 358 pitchers last year who faced 200 hitters, he had the 355th best weighted on base. Like, there is no way around it. It wasn't bad luck. He was just objectively not a good pitcher last year. Have you noticed in 2019 with the Twins, he has a 283 ERA. He has looked absolutely phenomenal. He dominated the Astros two starts ago. The Blue Jays uh, last night. The Blue Jays. Thing, oh, last night, like he, looked, he looked so good. 
Uh, he has the highest jump and strikeout rate. Uh, if he was 13% last year, he's 23% this year. He has the largest drop in expected weighted on base from 364 to 274. He has been insanely very good. He's dropped his hard hit rate by 16 points. Um, I didn't think Martin Perez was going to get like a non-roster invite last winter. He has been this good, and it's not really hard to see why. This is why I like this, because there are reasons here. Um, he has upped his fastball velocity by two miles an hour. Twins pitching coach Wes Johnson has helped him with his mechanics. So two miles an hour is not nothing. Also, I mean, for le- like lefty starters, there aren't that many lefty starters that throw 95 right. regularly, which he does. So it's like, I mean, he was at one point, not that long ago, literally the best pitching prospect in baseball. Like we're talking like 2012, so maybe it is long ago, 2013, whatever. So, but there's always been talent there. And now that he's healthy and he's gotten back to like what his peak velocity was and added a new pitch. And added a new pitch. He has a new cutter. He did not throw a cutter before this year. He's now throwing it 35% of the time. It's been really, really good. A 100 batting average against, a 117 slugging percentage against. And if you look at everyone who's thrown 25 cutters, it's the second best cutter in baseball by weighted on base. Uh, I could give you 1,000 guesses. You would not know who number one on that list is. I mean, you have his last name on this list, and I, I'm not even 100% sure you know what team he's on. Uh, Spencer Turnbull is on the Tigers. Okay, there you go. Uh, he's, he's a I name. do follow baseball for a living, Mike. <laughs> he's a name maybe we should talk to. Uh, Martin Perez has taken this cutter, and he has disappeared his slider. And with good reason, last year the slider allowed a 467 batting average and a 611 slugging percentage. I thought this is interesting from Dan Hayes in The Athletic uh, about where the cutter came from. Perez credited his agent, Felix uh, Felix Olivo, for continuing to suggest he start throwing the cutter. He also noted that it was teammate Jake Odorizzi who showed him how to throw a hard-cutting pitch that allows him to get inside on right-handed hitters. It is truly a team effort. This has changed his career. He might be an all-star this year. I didn't think he'd be in AAA this year. Yeah, Odorizzi also pitching well. Big reason why the Twins yeah. are, you know, might run away with in, the AL Central. In on the Twins. <laughs> Super in on the Twins. Out on Cleveland. In on the Twins. Speaking um, of Twins, or former Twins, as it were. Speaking of former... Man, imagine the Twins if they still had Ryan Presley. I know we have talked about him on several occasions this year, um, but he's up to 33 straight scoreless innings. That is uh, a new team record. Roy Oswald was up to 32.1. He made his Houston debut on July 28th. 2018 since then he has been the best reliever in baseball i don't think it's you know okay you can take your edwin diaz or blake trine and whatever i think ryan presley's been the best reliever in baseball since then um certainly if you based on like rate performance yes the one thing about him is that astros don't use him that aggressively and that part that might be why he he um maintains that effectiveness but it's it doesn't seem like he throws, you know, four times a week. It seems like they they really balance out their the reliever usage, and it shows. I mean, he is he's a machine I'm, on I'm, there. I'm going to throw some numbers. These are all since his July 28th, 2018 Houston debut. Uh, he's thrown 38 in the third innings, 47 to three strikeout to walk ratio, uh, and he's allowed two earned runs. One of those earned runs came in that Houston debut. So if I had just made this from his second start or second outing, that would have been even funnier. Um, he has allowed a 144, 168, 189 line. He has the best weighted on base in baseball. Uh, you know who second and third are on that list? His teammate, Roberto Asuna at number three, Chris Paddock. There we go. Uh, he has the best expected weighted on base. He has the second best walk rate, and he has the fifth best hard hit rate. So he's striking guys out. He's not walking them. And he's not giving up hard contact. That is essentially the perfect pitcher so far just in 2019. Zero walks, zero runs, zero barrels. The number one curveball spin rate in baseball. It, I don't know how you get better than that. Yeah, no, and I, I I watched him the other day because I was watching the game where he set the new franchise record uh, against the Angels. And I saw him come in. It was like three different batters, 
different pitch, like strike one, like boom. Just he's so efficient, just right around the zone, breaking pitch, complete command of it. It's it's uh he's fun to watch. And now it's time for why is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. bad now by Matt Myers. <laughs> I'm just I'm it's it's we've seen all these rookies come up and kind of out of the gate, you know, kind of light the world on fire. I guess Eloy Jimenez didn't really. Um, but um, Vlad's been just really disappointing. He's not barreled the ball yet um, by the StatCast definition, barrel being like the uh, our definition for basically a ball destined to be an extra base hit. He has an average launch angle of negative 8.9 degrees. Negative. <laughs> so he's basically pounding the ball on the ground. In fact, his ground ball rate of 73.9% um, is the second highest in baseball among all players with at least – 30 plate appearances. Um, it's alarming. You know, AAA this year, his ground ball rate was 48%, and last year was 47%. So I thought, is that – I was wondering if that was high. Um, it's probably not – it's not that high, I guess. I looked at other rookie, other right-handed hitting rookies who came up who were about the same amount. Tatis was 40% last year in the minors, 49% this year. Alonzo was 42% in the minors, 44% this year. Jimenez was 41 and 48. But, I mean, the 73% ground ball rate is, is – uh, is jarring. I went and looked because I was curious because Miguel Cabrera, because you think like if in a perfect world, that's kind of the kind of hitter that Vlad Jr. becomes, his career ground ball weight is 41%. So maybe if he can kind of get back to where he was in the minors, that's in the ballpark. But the thing is, when Vlad Guerrero, for most of his career, they weren't shifting right-handed hitters as aggressively as they do now. So when Vlad Guerrero came up, when he hit really hard ground balls to the left side of the infield, he was getting a lot of ground ball singles or a lot of ground ball singles up the middle. Those don't exist. Ground ball singles up the middle don't exist anymore. Like, they just they just don't happen because there's always a field of position there. So it's something definitely something to monitor for any any player with that hitting profile, a right-handed power hitter, um, whether or not they can they can elevate. And uh, the thing about him about Vlad and we talked about this last week on the podcast is that he still is getting pitched around. He still has the lowest number of of any batter who's seen 150 pitches this year. He still has the lowest zone percentage in baseball at 38.5 percent. I went and looked um, against last night against the Twins. Uh, Martin Perez, he basically did not get a single pitch that was clearly in the strike zone the entire game. I'm but, gonna I'm gonna try to count these dots real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's something like 15 pitches here on this little graphic, and not a single one is like in the zone. Yeah. He had the one. He put one ball in play. It was a man on first and second. He got to a three-two count against Perez, and Perez threw a really nice changeup on the outer half, and he bounced into a double play. Um, and if you look at the heat map, everything is low and away to him. He's actually drawing walks, so he's showing some discipline, but he's not been able to put the ball in play with any sort of authority. I have to imagine he's probably expanding his own a little bit at this point because he's desperate to kind of get to that power. Um, but uh, it's been it's been disappointing. He hasn't really been able to do anything yet. He, he uh, he'll be fine, right? Yeah, like, it's it's a slow start. People forget that Mike Trout was not great his first like two months at the end of he that got demoted. season. It got demoted, right? Um, but what this sort of made me start thinking of is what would his dad be like in today's game, right? With shifts and with better pitch data, um, I don't. Maybe it wouldn't matter because he hit like anything that was pitched anywhere. But it'd be interesting to me to see like how different of a career. Uh, the OG Vlad we've had. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I, I sort of think of him um, as someone who sort of hit the ball everywhere just because he would have to swing pitches all over the zone. So, like, you right. couldn't really <laughs> shift him because he was so unpredictable. Um, but, 
it's uh, and I mean I think the, the, you know in his debut Vlad had that one double in extra innings it was like a ground ball down the right field line yeah it was a right. pitch away that he was able to kind of smack past the first baseman but uh, it'll come um, hopefully sooner rather than later because I think everyone's pretty excited to kind of see what he can do he, he did make uh, at least to my eyes a surprisingly impressive defensive play the other day he was playing third base but he was shifted over so he's essentially playing shortstop and uh, somebody hit a ground ball up the middle and he had to range past the second base bag and do like kind of a three sixty and make the throw and he did it it looked good it looked like graceful and you don't expect that to be a strength so i was impressed and he that. does have an arm like his like his like papa so um you know we'll see hopefully it, it, it happens soon because it's uh definitely a reason to watch blue jays games and people are kind of focused on him but uh so far it's uh the ground ball rate is alarming that the ground ball rate's alarming and the fact that nobody wants to throw him a strike is really interesting to me. like <laughs> yeah. at some point someone's gonna throw him a meatball and he's gonna hit it 900 feet and we're gonna be like oh right that's what the hype was about uh but we haven't seen it yet hopefully by this time next week we'll be able to talk about vlad guerrero under an 18 mile an hour exit velocity that's our show for this week this is the mlb.com podcast thanks for listening